Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church. It is indeed an honor to be in the house of God. Amen. That fact and that privilege has been most underlined in our lives as in recent, in recent times. I want to turn your attention today, if you will, to the book of Jude. We're going to read two verses here in the book of Jude. The Bible says, But ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking, un, looking for the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. The writing of Jude, from his penmanship, we get this admonition, building up yourselves on your most holy faith. Amen. I want to talk about building up our faith, strengthening our faith today. This past Wednesday night, I, I spoke a little bit on the life of Daniel, and I want to go there again today. And uh, revisit the story of his life and the end result of his life. He was taken captive by a Babylonian army and held as nothing more than a common slave. I am confident that at that moment in time, if we could have just frozen that singular slide of his life, perhaps Daniel felt that this is the end of the road and this is just the sum total of what my life is going to be. It's just going to be a life of heartache, a life of misery, nothing to look forward to whatsoever. And so if we consider the backdrop against which the Spirit of God used Daniel and the backdrop against which Daniel gave himself so wholly to the Lord, I think we will be challenged in and of ourselves to see what he did and emulate that in our lives. Despite the circumstances that he was faced with, he made some incredible commitments to God. He said, I am not going to eat meat that has been offered to idols. I just won't do that, even though it wouldn't really stand out, but I have made that commitment to the Lord. He refused to allow himself to be allied with the political system, system of the Babylonians, even though... God had given him favor within that system, but he said, I am not going to be unfaithful to my God. And through all of this, Daniel stayed true to his core beliefs. He was later faced with being thrown into a, a lion's den, and other times we see him interceding for the people of God. In all of these circumstances, there's a common core, a common thread, and that common thread was that Daniel realized my strength and my stability, that thing that will be the foundation of my life is found through the venues of prayer and fasting. I believe there is an incredible story 
revealed to us in the book of Daniel chapter 10. I think that it's a scene worth underlining in our heart and minds. Daniel had been fasting and praying for 21 days. It seemed as though to Daniel, if we could just view this one moment at a time, it would seem to Daniel, and sometimes we've often found ourselves there, that despite his sincerity and prayer, that nothing was being done. No answer in sight. His prayers merely falling on deaf ears. But then an angel came on the scene. It was this scene that we rarely in our humanity have any insight to. But the angel just gave Daniel a glimpse of what has been going on for the last 21 days. The angel talked about a spiritual battle that had been going on. The angel was specific enough to say to him, Daniel, your prayer was heard on the very first day that you prayed it. The very moment that you prayed it. And then the angel said, but the prince of Persia has hindered the angel from responding to your prayer. Amen. Ultimately, uh, we know in scripture that Michael, the angel came, assisted and, and the angels of God and Daniel prevailed in this situation. But I believe that this story provides some tremendous insight into what happens on the other end of prayer. On the other side of prayer, we can only see what we're doing. And sometimes I'm afraid we have all found ourselves getting up from our place of prayer, whether it was in the church in a corporate setting or just in our own private prayer, feeling as though we wasted our time. And we wasted our effort, our energy, our breath, our words, all uh, just seemed to be bouncing around the heavens. Nothing happened. But I'm encouraged whenever I read this passage of Scripture because it gives us some insight to what's going on the other side of prayer. There was a battle, if you please, a spiritual tug of war. I believe that prayer in and of itself lays the foundation for great faith. We can't separate faith and fervent prayer. They go hand in hand. Great faith, I believe, is based on prayer and fasting, and I believe that prayer and fasting gives us the spiritual authority that we need each and every day of our life. There was an instance in Scripture in the New Testament where the disciples laid hands and prayed for a young man, and the Bible says that nothing happened. They were perplexed by the nothingness of their prayer. And they went to Jesus and they wanted to know why. We, we followed your example. We did what you did. We were parroting before, uh, before this man what you have taught us and what you have shown us. And Jesus said to them, amen, he said, This kind goeth, out not, goeth not out but by prayer and fasting. And sometimes I think when people read that passage of Scripture they almost feel like, well, I've now got a couple of tools in which I can use to twist the arm of God, get the favor of God, and make God do what I want God to do. 
But I want to just tell you that nothing could be further from the truth. You can say, well, I'm not going to eat another bite until this happens or that happens. Or I'm not going to leave my prayer room until this happens or that happens. But I can tell you, friend, that we can't twist the arm of God even using principles of Scripture. God is not our errand boy. He doesn't work behind the counter to, to, to reach and meet all of our whims and desires. No, no, no. Amen. Prayer and fasting, they're not tools to use to twist the arm of God. Amen. Daniel prayed consistently. Amen. I believe that's what we find in his life. I believe this, I believe this, this the thing that brought continuity between Daniel and his answered prayers was the fact that long before trouble arrived in his life, Daniel had a prayer life. Long before the storm blew in, Daniel had a consistent pattern of prayer and fasting. Amen. It was that kind of proactive prayer. Amen. That was that kind of proactive prayer he needed, and that's what kept him in the middle of a crisis. If we consider, if we consider the story revealed to us in 1 Kings 18 of a man by the name of Elijah. He was on top of Mount Carmel facing 450 prophets of Baal. He prayed a very simple prayer, but friend, this was not a simple scene. This was not, uh, this was not a shallow run-of-the-mill standoff because we are going to determine who is the real God. And Elijah said, we're going to let the God that is real answer by fire. The prophets of Baal, 450 strong, were given the privilege to build their altar and to cry out to their God and cry. They did. They jumped up and down on the altar until it was broken down and nothing was there. Elijah was, in, in, in fact, mocking them of their God that had not heard their prayer. Amen. And when it came time, he rebuilt the altar, had them dig trenches, 12 barrels of water. Hallelujah. And then the scripture reveals to us in just a couple of verses that he prayed a very simple prayer. As a matter of fact, this prayer consists of only 63 words, just 63 words, and the fire came down from heaven, and it consumed the sacrifice, and it licked up the water that was in the ditch. Those 63 words, amen, would not take us but mere seconds to read or recite, but can I tell you, that it wasn't about the length of this prayer. It wasn't about the depth of this prayer. It wasn't about, it wasn't about the tone of this prayer because this prayer paled in comparison to all the prayers Elijah had been sending up. All those days of prayer, all those days of fasting, all those seasons of faithfulness, it created a platform where this holy man of God could stand and say with just a few words, let the God that is God answer us by fire. I will tell you today, amen, if we, have, if we have a consistent prayer life before the crisis, then can I tell you, we'll have great faith in the crisis. Don't wait till the home is on fire before you try to figure out the answer to put it out. We need to say, God, let the power of the Holy Ghost abide in my home in seasons of plenty, and then I'll have faith to believe you when the season of plenty is over. Let the power of God move in our home when the there's already help and I'll have the faith to believe you. Amen. I'll have the faith to believe you when illness walks through the front door. 
Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, oh, too often in our humanity, we wait until there is a crisis to pray. But I believe that great faith is predicated upon spiritual authority. I've often said that when you see parents screaming to the top of their lungs like a maniac at their children, they have lost control. They have lost authority. Amen. They have lost authority. When you have authority, you can speak the word. Amen. Perhaps there is no greater example of this in all of Scripture than the story of faith that we find in Luke chapter 7. It is here captured for us, for our examination and consideration this morning, where Jesus is speaking to a Roman centurion. In Luke chapter 7 and verse number 7, the centurion told Jesus, he said, Lord, if you'll just say the word, my servants will be healed. The centurion now is going to explain his train of thought. He's going to explain and give an example of why I think that all you need to do is just speak the word. And so in verse chapter 7 and verse number 8, the centurion said to Jesus, For I also am a man set under authority, having under me soldiers. And I say unto one, Go, and he goeth to another, Come, and he cometh. And to my servant do this, and he doeth it. When Jesus heard these words, the Bible says, he marveled at him, the Roman centurion. And then he turned about. Picture that in your mind. Amen. He's having a conversation with a Roman centurion. When this Roman centurion shared with him his principle of authority, he turned from him and he looked to the people that was following him and he said, I have not found so great faith no, not in Israel. In order to, for this to make sense, in order for this scene perhaps to make sense, let me give you the backdrop of the story because I believe that context, of course, is everything. And so in, in, in order to do that, I want to turn your attention to Matthew 14 and 36 because here the Bible talks about a group of people that besought him that they might only touch the hem of his garment. And so here's a group of people that says, I believe the Lord can heal me. I believe the Lord can heal my friend or my brother. Amen. But here's how it's got to happen. We, we have got to touch the hem of his garment. In Mark chapter 8 and verse number 22, we find another group of people. It speaks of others that tried to get Jesus to touch the sick. Amen. So one thinks, if I can just touch him, it will all be all right. Another thinks, if he can touch me, then we'll be all right. Amen. So I called them, amen, this is the church of the touchites. Amen. They either got to touch or be touched. And this is the only way God can move. They believe that it's got to be a physical connection. Somehow we've just got to touch him or be touched by him. And if they could not make that physical connection, amen, then there were others that thought we can just, if we'll just get close. And so when Jesus ascended, the power of the Holy Ghost was upon his disciples to do the works 
that he was able to do. They could lay hands on the sick and they would recover. They could touch those that were dead and they could be brought back to life again. There was an anointing, a powerful anointing on him. Therefore, they brought people. They brought people that were sick into the streets and they laid them on beds and they laid them on couches. And this was their mindset. They said that at least... If just Simon Peter could pass by and the shadow of this holy man could just pass by, then everything would be all right. And so now that we've got the touchites down the streets, but now we've got a more spiritual group of people. Amen. They're shadowites. If just the shadow of this holy man can touch him, then everything is going to be all right. But then on the scene comes this man we only know as a Roman centurion. And he said whenever Jesus spent just a few moments in conversation with him, he turned to those that were his followers and said, I have not seen this kind of faith. No, not in all of Israel because the centurion's faith was not based on touch and the centurion's faith was not based on shadows but the centurion's faith was based on spiritual authority. He said, Lord, here's what I believe. Amen, here's what I believe. That in the natural world, if I can say to someone under my authority, you go here and he goes, you come here and he comes, you do this and you do that and they do, then he said, Lord, everything is under your feet and so you don't need to come to my house. All I need you to do is just speak the word and if you'll speak the word, that whatever the need may be, your word is sufficient to take care of that. And so I will tell you today, that we can be involved and have an impact on a global on a global picture then we can do that from right here in this sanctuary we can do that right in our home in our own prayer room when we call the names of our missionaries can I tell you it doesn't take touch we don't need to touch them we don't need them to touch us but we can pray with divine authority and the power of God can be released around the globe because there's power there is power when God's people pray hallelujah amen you just give the command this man understood spiritual authority I believe that prayer is the basis for spiritual warfare the Bible looking back at the story of Daniel's prayer the encounter that the angel had with the prince of Persia shows us that there is a consistent spiritual battle that is taking place in this spiritual unseen world. I believe this is a great example of spiritual warfare. The Bible talks about in, in Paul's writings to, to the church at Corinth, 2 Corinthians 10, Scripture gives us, I believe, a tremendous blueprint for effective spiritual warfare. The first thing that we must do, I believe we got to have the right spirit and we got to have the right attitude. At the beginning of this passage, Paul reminded the Corinthians that the fight is not a physical battle. And Lord knows we need to understand that, that the enemy is not your neighbor. The enemy is not the person down the road. The enemy is not the person on the same pew or across the church. The enemy is not the person in another church we wrestle not against flesh and blood. The Bible talks about in, in 2 Corinthians 10 and 3, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. 
Amen. Then Paul said, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. This kind of life requires that we are armed with weapons of warfare. These weapons require sacrifice. And these weapons require commitment. We should never, ever doubt for a moment that faith would not require action on our part. One writer said, faith without works is dead. So we can't just stand and quote something. We can't just stand and read something. But we got to get up and put legs to that. we got to have some sort of action on our part. If we consider verse 4 of, of chapter 10, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. When we think about pulling down, pulling down, that is an action. That means we got to get up. we got to do something about this. In verse number 5, Paul said that we've got to cast down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God. And then he said, bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. And so here, it again, here again is that action. It's not just pulling down, but now we got to cast down. Amen. It is that those high things, those things that exalt, exalt themselves against the power and the principles of God's word. I believe that when the spirit of the enemy pushes in, that the church ought to be pushing back. Amen. I'll tell you, if you never push back, I promise you, he's not going to back up. Amen. We can't keep rolling over, but when the enemy pushes, the church has got to rise. If my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, it is all predicated upon what the church is going to do. Amen. I say when we pull down and when we cast down and when we bring into captivity, that's not a church that's being passive. That's not a body of believers that's being passive. I've said it before. Please let me say it again. That the church is not the church anemic, but it is the church triumphant. Amen. If you want to be a part of the church anemic, you help yourself. But I've joined the church triumphant. Amen. It's been through the flood, but they could not drown it. It's been through the fire, but the fire couldn't burn it. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. It's the church triumphant. Praise God. Amen. There is a curious passage of Scripture, curious wording anyway, passage of Scripture in 2 Corinthians 10 and 6 because it speaks of taking revenge on the disobedience of our own flesh. So what does it mean to take revenge on the disobedience of our flesh? I believe if we let our flesh have its way, we're going to find ourselves in a real mess. It'll spell nothing but trouble. So I got to make some decisions. I got to make them ahead of time. I got to make them now. Got to get some things nailed down. I'm not moving from this is the this is the foundation of where I am. I got to make up in my mind that I am going to pray. Amen. I'm going to pray. I know that sounds pretty trite. Amen until you go to pray. And, and everything in the world gets in your way and I'll do it later and I'll do it. And, and after a while, then it's all slipped. So we got to say, I am going to pray. We got to get some things resolved in our mind. I'm going to church. 
Amen. I'm just going to be there when the doors are open. I'm going to be there Sunday. I'm going to be there Wednesday. I'm going to be there in revival. I'm going to be at church. And when I get there, I'm going to worship. I'm not going to fold my arms. I'm not going to treat this like it's a theater and these are the performers. And all I got to do is just sit back and let somebody else do all the prayer, all the praise, all the worship, all the preaching. I'm going to engage myself in worship. Amen. If they're singing a fast song, I'm going to worship. If they're singing a slow song, I'm going to worship. If they're singing out of the hymns, I'm going to sing that. If it's a praise and worship, I'm going to get on board. I am going to worship when I get there. Amen. I have got to determine in my mind that in a world and a society that has that has we have nurtured and cultivated and pampered the idea of minimum payment. We have cultured and cultivated the idea of just doing the bare minimum. Just whatever I got to do to get by. Just tell me what I can do to slide through. I got to make sure, amen, that I am a two mile man in a one mile world. I'm going to wake up every day and say I'm not going to do the minimum. I'm not just going to do the base requirements, but I'm going to dig deeper. I want to be a two mile man in a one mile world I have got to determine in my heart that I am going to make it I'm going to tell you that I was raised in a bizarre day like some of you that were in this house I was raised on radical thinking radical singing and radical preaching songs that went something like this if my mama don't go it's not going to hinder me if my daddy don't go it's not going to hinder me Amen. I got to make it up in my mind I'm going to make it I'm going to make it. I'm going to make it. I want you to go with me. I want the world to go with me. I want my neighbor to go with me. I want my family to go with me. I want everybody I meet on the street to go with me. But if they don't make it, I got to make it. I got to give everything I have. I got to lean in. I must be saved. I must be. I must be saved. My, 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 my. Yes. I have got to make it. I've got to make up it in my mind today. Not if, but when I fall, I'm going to get back up again. Amen. When I find myself face first in the dust, I'm going to dust myself off. Amen. When I find myself reaching for the stars and falling flat in the dirt, I'm going to dust myself off. Amen. When I find myself knocked out, when I find myself winded, when I find myself almost without the strength to stand, I am going to keep on fighting. I got to make it. I got to make it. I got to make it. Hallelujah. Ephesians 5 and 15 says, See. See then that you walk circumspectly and not as fools, not as fools, but as wise. And so when you look that scripture up, I challenge you to study Ephesians 5 and 15. That's not talking about walking carelessly, but walking cautiously. I've got to be very careful where I put my feet. Amen. I've fallen several times in my lifetime. I've fallen several times in my adult life. <laughs> and many of those was because I wasn't watching where I was going. I stepped off curbs that put me in a chiropractor's office. Amen. I did, it was just a few inches, but it was enough. felt like six feet. I wasn't watching where I was going. I've missed steps on a ladder because I wasn't paying attention. I thought I was on the last rung, but I was on the fourth rung. It's a long way down those situations. I wasn't walking circumspectly. 
We got to guard ourselves against the blind spots. We got to guard ourselves against the enemy that is present that we may not be aware of. His name was Chris Kyle, saving a Navy SEAL sniper who had more confirmed kills than any other U.S. soldier in history. He served in four combat tours in Iraq and Afghanistan. In 10 plus years of being deployed in some of the most dangerous parts of the world, he accumulated numerous medals for bravery and heroism in battle. He received two silver stars and five bronze stars, two Navy and Marine Corps Achievement Medals, one Navy Commendation Medal and one Marine Commendation Medal. He also received the Grateful Nation Award. It was given to him from the Jewish Institute for National Security Affairs. But when the war was over and the combat had ended, Chris Kyle died tragically and suddenly. Not on a battlefield, not geared up with, with camo and body armor, but rather Chris Kyle was at a shooting range in Texas with a friend. They together were working with veterans to try to help them adjust back to civilian life, those that had left battlegrounds and foreign soil to adjust back to the civilian life. So Chris and his friend had taken a man out to the shooting range and this man they took there had fought in war and was suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder. So while they were on the gun range and had devoted this portion of their life to helping this troubled vet, unbeknownst to them while they were standing on that gun range, this former soldier slipped behind them and when they were not looking, unfortunately, he opened fire and killed them both. As warriors, as Navy SEALs, as snipers, they had faced untold enemies and escaped time and time and time again. But sadly, he ended up, they ended up dying a senseless death all because they were unaware of the imminent danger they were with. You see, it is one thing to see danger and be aware of it. <clears throat> but it is something else to be so comfortable that we let our guard down and we relax. And that is what the enemy right. is counting on. In the boxing ring, it is not just about the swiftness of your punch. It is not just about the angle. It is not just about your ability to outlast in length of time your opponent. But one portion, one portion of this sport, if we would call it that, is to wait until your enemy relaxes. Just one moment of a dropped arm. Just one moment. And it wouldn't take someone of that skill level very long with the right opening, and that's what they're waiting on. They're not necessarily waiting on the bell of the 12th round. They're just waiting for you to relax, just waiting for you to drop your guard just long enough. Daniel's love for God kept his faith strong even though he was a slave. He was not righteous because he had respect for the king or their political system. No, he was righteous because he had a relationship with God. 
the understanding that he had, I believe, went beyond dreams and visions because he certainly had them and even interpreted them. But it was the understanding of the nature of God. He loved God and he was loved by God. And I believe if we have a relationship with God based on love, he'll give us a desire to exercise that, exercise that love by obeying his word. The 119th Psalm in verse number 11, David said, Thy word have I hid in my heart. Oh, that I might not sin against thee. I believe that fasting increases our sensitivity to the things of God. Fasting builds up our faith by bringing our faith into submission. This process, I believe, brings us closer to God. And here is the bottom line. That God can only do what we allow him to do because God has bound himself to human will. And so God can only work in the space that we create for God to work in. Fasting and prayer creates that space for God to work in. So the more we minimize flesh and self, the more we maximize the presence of the, and the power of God. <clears throat> Fasting, I believe, is, the, is, the, is key to understanding that God truly desires to bless us. Yes, he does. Our faith is built up through the mercy of God, and it is through and by the grace of God that we are where we are today. Paul proclaimed that. I am what I am by the grace of God. I believe we would all lay hold to that. I am what I am by the grace of God. And so when we think about the early church, there were many identifying factors of the early church we could we could say several complimentary things about them a powerful church a dedicated church we could say they were a prayerful church but but acts 433 says something unique about this new testament church because the scripture here says and great grace was upon them all <laughs> great grace was upon them all in addition to great faith and great power the early church had Great grace. I, I believe that we all understand at least as much as we can that the grace of God in our lives is that unmerited favor that just seems to flow. I believe that we would all concur. God has been so graceful to me and I did not deserve it. But great grace is the combination of God's favor to us and our trust back to him. It's reciprocal because it is a relationship. The greatest thing I believe that we can give God is our free will. I said God bound himself to our will. And so the greatest gift we can give back to God is to give God our free will. I'm going to ask our musicians to come. Great grace is born in adversity. But... Great grace is not just born in adversity for seasons of adversity. But I believe that grace is born in adversity, but it continues to live and linger in our lives long after the clouds have vanished and the sun shines again. It's based on our relationship with deity. It's that place where, where God and man meet. David said, what is man that thou art mindful of him. I don't know about you, 
But I'm going to tell you that I'm humbled when I feel the presence of God, whether it's by myself in prayer or riding down the road or if I'm in a collective service. I think often, what is man? What is man that you're mindful of us and that you came today? I believe this coming together of God and man forms a bond that transcends human logic. We just, it just doesn't make sense that God would want to spend time with me. Amen. Psalms 119 and 75 says, I know, O Lord, that thy judgments are right and that thou and thy faithfulness has afflicted me. Now, if I may, I want to read that again because that just is so contrary to our thought process. But David said, I know, O Lord, that thou that thy judgments are right and that thou in thy faithfulness has afflicted me. It seems in, in our own humanity counterintuitive that affliction would come with faithfulness. But I will promise you that with every blessing there is a burden that comes with that blessing. Some people think, oh my Lord, I would... I would love to have that beautiful 5,000 square foot house up on the hill. If somebody just gives you the deed to that, that would be a blessing. But there's a burden that's coming with that blessing. You're going to have to pay taxes. You're going to have to fix hinges when they break. You're going to have to paint walls when they fade. You're going to have to rehang shutters that fall. With every blessing, there is a measure of burden. It seems more logical that we would be faithful to God and His Word and, and the more faithful we were that just the smoother our lives would be. <laughs> I've been so faithful. The sea is just like glass. There's nothing wrong. What's even more difficult to understand is this, this is that sometimes we are afflicted right in the midst of our faithfulness. Have you ever been doing everything just right? And your whole world falls apart. And then you look across the road, across the way, and you see people that aren't faithful at all. And everything they touch turns to go. I mean, it's, you won't be labeled carnal if you say amen. We've all been there. ASAP, ASAP was so transparent, he said, I almost lost out with God over this. My feet well nigh slip when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. I'm doing everything I can. I can't get anything to go right. These people don't even, they don't even think about God. And everything is going their way. Daniel was afflicted in, in his faithfulness. And, and in the middle of his faithfulness was sent to the lion's den. And his only crime, his only crime was faithfulness. He prayed. And he wouldn't stop praying. Because it was the right thing to do. So we get posed those difficult questions. Why do bad things happen to good people? And why does affliction come in the midst of faithfulness? And I can tell you that it is not for the purpose of causing pain. But it is for the purpose of positioning us for God's divine plan in our lives. I'm going to ask you to stand and I'll share the story with you again. That I have shared through the years. Many years ago. I came across an article that is entitled Push Against the Rock. You may have heard me refer to this at times. 
push against the rock. This is the summary of the story. It's a lengthy story somewhat. But here's the summary of the story. That the Lord spoke to a man. It was a huge, dynamic, gigantic boulder. And the Lord spoke to him and said, push against the rock. And so every day, this man would spend the majority of his day pushing against that rock. Days turned to weeks and weeks to months and months to years. And in his frustration, he came to God totally defeated. I don't understand. I've been faithful. I've been doing what you told me to do. You said push against the rock. I've been doing this every day. And Lord, this rock has not moved one inch to which the Lord said, I never ask you to move the rock. I just said push against the rock. And by your faithfulness and pushing against the rock, he said, look at the muscles that you have built and the tone of your skin and the calluses on your hands. I have you ready for the next position. I mean, you've readied yourself. And so sometimes in our frustration, we think we're getting nowhere. We're praying prayers that are not being answered. But God in his divine wisdom, I think for an example for us, sent an angel to Daniel. We don't find this happening before or after. So I just want to tell you what's going on in the spirit world. The day you prayed, your prayer hit heaven. But the day you prayed, it set loose spiritual warfare. And we have been in a tug of war ever since. But we have prevailed. We've prevailed. We've prevailed. So can I tell you today that sometimes we are pushing against things. And we're pressing. And we are finding ourselves in a situation. And we think God is just any moment he's going to answer our prayer. And this is going to be the answer. And God is saying, I never ask you to move the rock. I just ask you to push against the rock because I knew that's going to build something in you. And it's going to set you and position you for the next level. Today, can I tell you, church, that God is positioning the church. He's positioning the church. The events of our day, they haven't caught God off guard. They haven't, they haven't surprised anybody in heaven. No, no. God is positioning the church. Let's worship the Lord, can we? Amen. Let's magnify him together. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.